Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, everybody? Jensen here, as always. This is going to be a very, very different type of episode today. This is called Restaurants Are Not a Great Place to Work, and It's My Fault. It's even hard to say. Uh, anybody who who has watched over the last year, part of the over 350 episodes that we've done, you know that I will tell on myself quite a bit. I always do it in a way that's, you know, I joke about it. I make fun of myself because that's how I deflect, you know, the actual pain that I've inflicted upon myself, my family or others. I think a lot of people in the industry understand that. And so I needed to take a moment and sift through all my own bullshit, all of the things that I've seen playing out in restaurants, on social media, in media, around our industry, around the people in our industry, and all of the animosity that I see just, just getting thrown around everywhere. And so I needed to take a real moment and sit with this, reflect with this. I had a lot of conversations over the last several weeks with people that have been a part of my life through the last 21 plus years that I've been in this industry. And I, and I needed to understand the joy and the pain that I've been a part of and wanted to take a moment and say, the only way that we can move forward, the only way that we can build something new, something that works for all of us today, tomorrow, and for generations to come is for us to be honest with ourselves around our own shortcomings, our own failings, and not just celebrate our past successes, but really reflect on what that's meant to us, to again, to our family, and to the people that we've worked with and that we've impacted positively and negatively. So, and I had to write this down. And if you guys follow anything we do, I don't write anything down typically. I just go off the cuff it feels my my authentic self, but I, I needed to write it down because I needed to actually visualize and see the impact that I've had. And I wanted to just take a, a little bit of time and reflect specifically on a few of the kind of categorizations of things that I've been complicit or, or downright guilty of throughout my career. And, uh, you know, doing this live. So I see a couple of you are on. Um, please comment and uh and let me know your thoughts on this. If, if you're ever willing to take responsibility for your fault in this, that's something where I'm trying to open that space, basically. And I'm going to ramble a lot in this episode, so I apologize for that. Uh, there are five areas that I wanted to share that really kind of encapsulated my own complicity, the way that I have navigated this industry for the last 20 years and nobody else's fault but mine and want to take responsibility for that and own that and see if that creates an opportunity for me to then better myself personally and anybody else who's willing and able to continue to commit themselves to this this industry because I think it matters. And uh, one of the reasons that I'm doing this, all of this, best served everything, was because 
I burnt out in the kitchen like so many other people did. I couldn't do 70 hours a week. I couldn't put my body through that. I couldn't keep, you know, drinking and, and doing drugs at the level that I was. I couldn't wake up in my car again in the parking structure of another restaurant after doing, you know, God knows what to myself and also to just the way that we treat people, you know? So now being a father, having two young sons and having this, you know, family legacy, that's always been something that I've held in high regard. I looked at them and said, would I want my two sons to be the sixth generation of chef restaurant tour in our family? And a couple of years ago, the answer was fuck. No, no chance. No way. I do not want them to be part of this industry because look at what it's done to me. Look what it's done to so many of the people that I love. Look at what it's had me do to other people that I hold in the highest regard because you get chewed up by this machine that is this industry. And so we have to do something differently. And so I had two choices. I could walk away and I actually did. I tried. Um, and you know me personally, you know, also very into craft beer. And I was like, I got to go that way try and see if I can find another community, find another way to, to exist. And so I did that for a little while and I just, it's in my blood. I, I know a lot of you understand that it's, it's something that I couldn't walk away from. And I said, I have to do something about it. I have to invest all of myself into creating something that I'd be so proud to pass on to, you know, my children and have them be the the sixth generation if that's what they decide to do. So that's what I you know really had to reflect on. So I want to I want to break these things down again. I'm gonna tell the five kind of areas that I felt were the worst representation of the way that I've impacted people in this industry, and then specifically tell you some stories about those and and just kind of reflect on that. And I don't I don't know where it's gonna go exactly. So number one was just generally being a chef and, and running restaurants. Like I didn't understand the responsibility I had of leadership. I didn't understand the spotlight that was put on us. And I want to reflect on that a little bit. Uh, number two is just exploitation. Like we're such an exploitative industry and it starts with exploiting ourselves. We pray our own passions. And so I want to touch on that a little bit. Uh, living wage, wages, benefits. I didn't understand how to create something where you could invest in yourself and others so that you could, I don't know, retire, be able to like have this be an industry that it's not just for 16 to 30 year olds that, you know, 65 year old line cooks is the reality of our industry. It's something I, I believe in. So uh, how I was complicit there. Uh, number four boundaries. So hard when you're so in it, when you live in the restaurants, when so many of the people who are your friends, your roommates, your, your loved ones, your spouses, your partners are within the restaurants, really hard to create boundaries. And so there's some very specific ways that I think that create a lot of, of strife throughout my career. And then the fifth is just the verbal degrading, how much we uh, are so, we spit so much venom. And I've absolutely been guilty of that. And so I wanted to talk about those those five uh, areas a little bit today. So I wanna start with, with kind of being a chef running a restaurant. The chef driven restaurant, one of the greatest things to happen to me personally, greatest things to happen to our industry and has created some of the, the biggest vulnerabilities that, that we face. And for me, it was because I just, I didn't quite fit in. I was never as smart as the smart kids and never as cool as the cool kids. Of course, what I told myself is that I was smarter than the cool kids and cooler than the smart kids. And 
safety mechanism. And I even smile now because I still like try to tell myself that every day. And the reality is I just didn't quite fit in. And I think a lot of people in this industry have that. And then I found a restaurant, 17 years old, going and moving from Southern California, from Vista High School, graduating Vista High School in North County, San Diego, moving to Ames, Iowa, and just instantly fell in love, washing dishes, like finding my people, right? And all of a sudden, over the next two decades, I went. we went from being the outcasts and the pirates on the pirate ship, a la Bourdain, to the cool kids. All of a sudden, being a chef, you weren't the helping or the cool kids. And I struggle with that. That shit went to my head. I thought that all of a sudden that I was, I was the coolest and smartest kid in the room. And the reality is it's just never been true. And we struggle with that. Like all of a sudden you go to a party and you were like the coolest, you're a chef. And we, and I think I struggled with it. I think as an industry, we struggled with it. All of a sudden it went away from being that band of rebels to all of a sudden it was one person. And that one person got put on a pedestal and it, we really struggled with that. It, it created this vacuum for me personally. And I think for a lot of other people's and we saw, we see that play out and, and we're, we're, we're grappling with that now. I think a lot of the effects of that now positive sides. And I do want to reflect mostly on that, but the positive sides, like people cared about who was cooking their food. Absolutely. People all of a sudden open kitchens, create a relationship so that guests weren't just nameless, faceless assholes sending back food with weird requests. So strengths, everything I'm going to say, like there is strength. And usually I, I feel like some of our greatest strengths and weaknesses are the same coin. It's just the way that we nurture them, the way that we respond to them, the way that we hold ourselves and others accountable to them. So that chef driven thing and the media side of it. Oh, guys, I thought my worth was directly connected to how often I was on the radio, on TV or uh, in publications. And I spent so much time and effort manipulating everything I loved about food and beverage and hospitality and service to make it clickbait for the people who create clickbait. So much of my time. And that really culminated when we fucking jumped the shark was when I was the chef at row 14 and there was a week long competition. We'll call it big old air quotes competition for the sexiest chef in Denver. And it was bracketology like it was March Madness. And I actually gave a shit about that. Like I wanted to win that. Like what is what is happening when the state of not only the way that we're and how hot is the chef has nothing to do with the team, has nothing to do with the food, the beverage, none of that. It became this popularity contest that nobody won like look back on it now nobody won nobody's winning that game because it shifted the way that we treated ourselves and others sexiest chef competition bracketology this is what we did to ourselves and i thought it mattered we were like rallying our people to to vote for things like that i went to the second round i thought that mattered it it could not matter any less to what we were trying to accomplish and so, uh, you know, those type of things is being a chef. I didn't understand what that meant. I didn't understand the responsibility of leadership. And I know a lot of people have, have struggled with that. And there's a lot of people that were affected by that. 
And so it's, I, I apologize to like everybody and anybody who had to interact with the, the fucking idiot who thought that being sexy chef in Denver mattered at all. I apologize. Like I cannot, I, who the hell was that guy is the thing that I think yet it was me. I have to own that. Yeah. That's, that's what happened to us. And we wonder why we're in the position we are in today, whatever that position is for you. We have to reflect on that. So that was number one exploitation. It is crazy how much we work, how much we prey on our own passions, how much I was guilty of doing that to myself, first and foremost, to my family. I mean, Betsy have to endure the amount of hours that we put in to like prove our worth that none of us have anything to show for it. And so I, I expected everybody to be like me. This is something else that I struggle with. It's like treat people like you want to be treated is not true. You need to treat people like they want to be treated. You need to see them for what what and who they are as a leader. And I didn't understand that. And I thought I exploited myself and it got me the trajectory to be a, uh, an executive chef at 25, to own a restaurant by 30, to win this competition and be on this list, all those things. I did those things because these vanity metrics were important. So I thought exploiting myself was the way that I got there. I needed to exploit other people. And one of the ways that we did this, and this is interesting because, again, same coin. I tried to create a lot of opportunity throughout my career for people. I truly believe in investing in people. When opportunity morphs into obligation is where I see the big, big shortcoming. And we did that a lot. Chef Driven Restaurant did that, where no longer were we side by side. We had three, four, five, seven restaurants. And like it was a challenge to be able to to build a resume by learning from the master, learning from somebody when really you were learning from the number 17 person down the line. And I did that in restaurants. When I was at Tag Restaurant, we've had this thing where people could come in two hours before their shift and learn something. I teach them how to butcher rabbits or fish, or they could, they could go check out the sushi station and learn sushi. They could learn something new. Opportunity huge opportunity. They would come in, they would own their mise en place, they would set up their stations, they would learn something, they'd be like able to go into service, having developed themselves and be in a strong position to, to succeed in that shift. Amazing opportunity. And slowly but surely, it turned into obligation where if you didn't show up two hours before your shift, just to set up your station, because it was completely decimated, that you weren't a part of the team like everybody else was. And this was time they'd come in two hours for their shift for free. They wouldn't even clock in, right? They would do it on their own because they were trying to improve upon themselves. And that opportunity turned into obligation really fucking quick. And all of a sudden, there was this culture of this person only showed up 15 minutes before their shift. They don't care as much as I do. And they started to become these little clicks and this hazing. And I actually thought that that would help motivate them. The reality is it just... It just turned people's commitment into an obligation. And then it exploited them hands down fully. And I kept hearkening back to what the intent of it was. It was pure and developmental and, and training and teaching opportunity at its core. And I failed because I didn't deliver on that time and again for the people who are actually living that life. And that is the failure of me as a leader. And so often the failure 
of the business as a whole to recognize that that does not serve the best interest of your people. And if you cannot serve the best interest of your people, you cannot serve the best interest of your guests or your business. Cannot. So that for me was, was another big one uh, was exploitation. And look, there's a lot of different examples, but that, that one was big because the culture that it created became toxic, absolutely toxic. And, you know, somebody would degrade another person because they weren't allowing themselves to be as exploited as they were. They started to be their own jailers. And that's, that's the mindset that, that we instilled. Cannot, cannot be the way that we operate. Cannot. Uh, and in that wages and benefits, I didn't understand that you needed, you needed to be able to live a life. You needed to be able to, you know, have that path to retirement. Like that's a fundamental thing to, we hear this real job. That is what real jobs do. That's the way that you build a sustainable workforce. That's the way that you build a sustainable industry. Otherwise you're just short-term exploiting and restaurants, especially exploit youth. Because you can get a job in a restaurant 16, at 15, at 19. You can do it while you're going to school. And so all of a sudden we think, well, because it can exist in that way, and because those, those individuals may be able to take lower wages and don't need benefits or are on their parents' benefits, well, then I'm just going to build my whole business model around that. Well, what do we do to get people to be that 65-year-old line cook to retire? And... I didn't think about the depth of that enough. I wasn't thinking long-term enough because I was thinking about the numbers for the next quarter to be able to bonus. And I did share. I had bonuses all the way down to dishwashers. I always had 3% higher, not 9% labor, 12% labor. So I patted myself on the back to think that I was doing a great job. And plenty of people made a couple dollars more. I didn't understand the full need for investment in somebody's livelihood their sense of security physically, mentally, and financially through the lifespan of when they work with me. Didn't understand it. And there was one way specifically now that I realize that something I thought was investing in something powerful and, and developmental and galvanizing as a team was actually proof that I didn't understand what the fuck I was doing. And I would do these hog classes, whole hog, we would break down whole hogs we would do charcuterie with them a lot of times. We'd do salumis with them. We would do all kinds of different stuff. We would do a dinner with them uh, because I wanted the team to get together, to learn, to grow together, to be able to up their skills, to understand nose to tail. And we did those things. And I spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, thousands of dollars to be able to do that, that education piece. And in and of itself was a great act. People learned a lot. They developed themselves. Hopefully they went on to do great things. Yet some of those people were financially struggling. Some of those people had to decide if they could go get their dog dewormed or actually go get their annual checkup. And they always deferred taking care of themselves. Some of those people were having mental health crisis and we weren't paying attention. Those people were not secure physically, emotionally, mentally, financially. Yet I had the money to invest in a hog class. 
and did not spend the time and effort to understand their plight, their need to invest in them. So the money was there to invest in our people. And the money is always there to invest in your people if we prioritize people, number one. And I thought I was, and I absolutely was not. And we have to understand that. I have to understand that investing in the whole of people within the restaurant is so difficult, yes, yet so important. And so building towards that. And look, you're not always going to be able to afford to do all the things you want to do in this moment. What I recognize now is like trying to lay out the goal and a plan and trying to get people to buy into it through the lifespan of being a part of this team. And so it's not an easy thing to to address. I understand that. It's fundamentally important. The hog class was actually, for me, completely tone deaf. And I didn't realize it. So uh, what else? Like I said, sorry, I got to read these because I had to write them down because I thought I would lose my shit doing this. Uh, Boundaries. (sighs) Boundaries, man. Uh, The joke of you live in the restaurant, there's a cot in the blah, 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 back room. It's so true. And like, what's the point? What does that do for the longevity of you or your team? or your business, actually, in the long term, that mindset, it leaves us in a position where we can't sustain. And boundaries was a big one. I was so in love with everything that I was doing at all times that I could never let go of it. In my dreams, I was writing menus. On my days off, I was writing menus. I was always so focused on that that I thought everybody else was too. And so I remember uh, one of my sous chefs had to actually like have an intervention (sighs) because at all times I'd be like, I just figured out this new way to do uh, sriracha, the fermented hot sauce. And I would like text them about it or send them pictures on their days off thinking it was like, rah, rah, like, look at, we're doing great, amazing things. And maybe that was true. At certain moments, they're like, that's awesome. I'm so excited. I'm glad that you let me know. Yet all the time, every time, it just, there was no way of separating when somebody actually was or wasn't working. When somebody actually was or wasn't needing to be in the loop around anything. And so the boundaries that we create are so important because we take our work home with us all the time. Because a lot of the emotional uh, high that you get and the uh, trauma that comes from it. It's why I struggled with with alcohols and and substances because how the fuck else do you turn your brain off? You are so on red. You are so revved all the way red line, tapping the red line. For eight hours, 10 hours, 14, 16, 18 hours, 30 days straight, that you start to get delusional. I could not separate myself from the work. And what I recognized is I was just never my best self because I was never able to recharge. And boundaries are so, so important that you can 
put yourself away for a moment. And, and as a chef, I struggle with, I still struggle with that today. I'm a nonstop dynamo. I, I struggle with that. Our, our team now has to put their Slack notifications on snooze because at three in the morning, I'll put stuff there because I have to get it out of my brain. And I know a lot of people understand what I'm talking about. Uh, so we had to create some safety nets to, to account for that. But that boundaries piece is important. Understanding that it is not only okay, it is absolutely something you should be striving for to have people be able to disconnect in any way for any period of time. And so that boundaries piece is something that I did not create clear boundaries. I did not understand the boundaries were important. I did not invest any time and effort into making sure that that boundaries were protected that as my as a leader is my job to empower the people that work around me right that they weren't lucky to work for me that i was lucky that anybody would allow me the responsibility of leadership which means protecting them which means if they need some time i they didn't have to come up with a bunch of excuses or this fucking ironclad argument on why they need to take some time i just needed to have trust and confidence in them and respect for them to say what you need is what I need. And it's actually what our business needs to be able to thrive. And I didn't understand that. And so boundaries, again, uh, specifically, there's a couple of people that if they see this, they're like, yeah, I understand. I apologize to you that I did not understand the need for those boundaries, that those boundaries would actually create more strength bring us closer together as a team, not create this separation. And, and that's what I thought it was. All right. And this last, this last piece for me was the, the way we verbally degrade ourselves. I've been so guilty of like that to myself of like, you're not fucking good enough. Like what the hell are you doing? Like what's wrong with you? These things. And then projecting that onto others in the heat of the moment. So many times I stepped outside of myself to just spit some venom at a person, I have no fucking idea why. Because they are in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, and would feel so justified because of how hard the job was. And it doesn't matter how hard the job was. There's zero excuse for verbally degrading another person. And what's worse about it, having reflected on this and having had stories of moments told to me how many moments that are imprinted on people's lives that I have no recollection of that I was so in the heat of whatever was happening that there was an altercation with somebody that has a lasting impact on them. And I don't even remember that it happened. And this is something that we have to slow down. And recognize that. And there was there was a moment, a story that I I thought so fondly on this person and so many of the interactions that we have throughout their career and to see them go on and, and do things on, on TV and like really represent our industry and themselves really well, all of these things. And then hearing that one of the strongest memories that this person had of me was a moment where there was some debate happening uh, and 
they were trying to get their two cents in and 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 I just wasn't having it and actually had to stop them and put my hand out towards their face and said, stop talking. And I had no recollection of it. It didn't even register. And that moment for them was traumatizing, you know, because I was their leader. They were somebody they looked up to, somebody that was supposed to be there for them, somebody supposed to support them and make sure they had everything that they needed. And my reaction to them in that moment, no matter what they were saying in that moment, was to completely shut them down. That I thought that was the best way to handle that moment, that communication is bad enough. Worse is the fact that it didn't even, it didn't even register me. I don't have any recollection, even after being told about it. And that is something that we, I have to sit with. We all have to sit with. There are so many monumental moments that are happening in these restaurants, especially when so many young people are counting on us to set them on the beginning of their professional career, sometimes their personal trajectories, and that we have to understand, I have to understand the responsibility and accountability that that puts on me, that that had put on me, that I failed at understanding the magnitude of that responsibility and putting somebody like that in a position where they now have to grapple with the fact that somebody they respected and probably not respected after that moment verbally degraded them to the point where they weren't even allowed to speak and express themselves. This is the reality of this industry. So many of these moments that I just, that I just mentioned are me. I'm like intense. I'm type A. I'm a red personality. I'm unrelenting. I am super passionate. I am a, a connector of people, all of these things. So I understand some of the things that happen because I'm so all in. So I was like, that, ma- that makes sense. I'm not, I'm not glad that I did those things, but it made sense because it's, it's part of who I am. There's other elements like that moment. That's not me at all. I want, I love over communication. I want people to put more and more information out into the world, whether I like it or not. And moments like that and other ones I've had to reflect on, I was like, that's not me at all. And that is the byproduct of me putting all of myself into this system that I helped build that turns you into a caricature of yourself. And that's the part of the industry that I want to make sure that I'm helping to affect. So that was it. There's a, you'll continue to hear me reflect on these things and tell myself, and you'll see that I'll, I'll try and deflect with comedy and make fun of myself a little bit. I needed to take this time and I appreciate everybody who supported me through this journey. Everybody who's been on any side, who's been inspired by the, the work that we've done. And, and I'm so grateful that Quite often people reach out to me and say, you, you helped change my life. I completely understand how to be a leader now because of you and other people who say, you know, you, you broke me and, and, and I know that feeling cause I, I broke myself and I'm, I'm sorry for that. And we, we have to take that moment because we have to do something different. It has to start. If, if, if you're a leader in this industry, you have to be the change. And it's not going to happen from just patting ourselves on the back and blaming kids these days. It has to be about 
true reflection and evolving and building something new. And that's what I'm committed to because I have two sons. I hear them right now that I want to pass on a legacy that they have an industry, a work, a, a community that believes in them, that invests in them, that values them. And if we do that, we got a lot of fucking work to do. But if we do that, we have a chance. So that's what I'm hoping to keep working. That's what you can count on me for and uh, and hold me accountable for. And uh, and I hope, you know, I earn the opportunity to lead once again. And uh, And if in any way, shape or form, you've been affected by me personally, by this industry in this way, your story and your voice, it matters. Everything that we're building is built on the fact that you matter, that 14 million people in this industry matter, that they should be given a space to share what they're all about. And so if you want to learn more about that, check out, you know, what we're doing, like you matter. And I know because so long in my career, I didn't realize that. And now I realize the greatest people that I've ever met, the best relationships that I've ever had have been born out of restaurants. And I, if I want to respect that and them, this is what I have to do. And this is what I think we all have to do because restaurants are not a great place to work. And it's my fault. And many of us have been complicit and contributed to that. And now it's on us. What are you going to do now? That's the question. All right, that's it. I appreciate all of you for tuning in, all of you for the work that you do. I hope this this hope this this was helpful for me. I hope this was helpful for you. So, take care. Appreciate you all. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.